0: Good morning. Anybody else had the junk this week? Can you hear it in me? Raise your hand. No, just me, just a few others. So bear, bear with it. Allergies plus the crud. So um, bear with me, okay? Uh, brothers and sisters, glad you are here. Uh, guests, let me add my welcome to Richard's. And let me invite you, if you have a Bible, I hope you do, or there might be one in front of you, to join me in First Peter Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are going to walk through this passage this morning and uh, talk about what it says about our God, what it says about us, and what it says uh, about our world, even. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, look on with me. It'll be on the screen as well. But we're going to look uh, this morning at verses 4 through 10, okay? 4 through 10. Peter says, as you come to Him, that is Jesus, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's Word. Will you pray with me as we look into God's Word? Father, we come to you this morning, and we come in various conditions and states and moods and circumstances surrounding us. We come to you this morning, and we open your Word, God, and we ask that You, through Your Word, by Your Holy Spirit, would teach us, not just teach us and enlighten us, but change us as we encounter You through Your Word this morning. God, we are lost and um, hopeless apart from You, and so we come into Your Word expressing our deep need and our desire to know You, to be directed by You and to be filled with you. So it's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we ask these things because of him that we come to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, If there has ever been a time in history when people are obsessed with their identity, then this is it. I mean, we today... Um, in all ages and stages and life backgrounds are talking about our identity, what makes us who we are, who really am I, why am I here, what uh, sets me apart, what makes me unique, who am I, what's my identity, and of course there are various answers to that question and various perspectives on how to go about answering that question. But as we come to God's Word, and particularly in 1 Peter, we see that God lays out for us our identity. He gives us our identity, and it's been said you can either try to achieve an identity or you can receive your identity. And the Scriptures lay out for us from God our identity. And we've already seen that in some sense uh, in previous messages and previous parts of First Peter, but as we get into this section today, uh, Peter gives us even more detail, even more specifics about who we are, about how God has created us, what God has set us apart to do, and who we are to be. Now, we began this whole letter by kind of setting up the scenario and the history and the cultural context, and we saw that part of our identity back all the way in chapter 1, verse 1, was that we were elect exiles, right? Remember that? Elect exiles. And we said that both of those words together are really important. We need to keep both of those words fixed within our identity and who we are, who God has created us to be. We are both elect, chosen, loved by God, but we are also exiles in this world. We are, in a sense, homeless. In fact, earlier in the service, Garrett read for us that passage uh, where Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, talks about our citizenship is really in heaven. We're citizens of heaven living on earth, but in This time and in this place, our identity is really as as exiles, as those not in their homeland, and exiles are those who don't have position, don't have status, don't have the power that the majority have, don't have the rank or the privilege. We are exiles, not... uh, the esteemed ones, and I can identify with this as a guy from Oklahoma, uh, and particularly a OSU football fan, okay? Uh, allow me to diverge for a moment and, and illustrate this, but uh, about three years ago, I thought it might be a good idea, since I'm a proud Cowboy fan, to begin taking my kids to a game a year, and so three years ago, we went to the Bedlam OSU-OU game, of which we lost, uh, but we had a great experience. And so we kept the tradition alive last year, and we went to the Iowa State game. And don't ever count out Iowa State, no matter <laughs> what their record is. And so that didn't work out too well, also at home game. And so we, we caught it later in the year over in Fort Worth, and we drove over to Fort Worth. And again, we lost. And so we tried it again yesterday. And now, four games in a row, my kids (laughs) are beginning to think, why are you a part of this team? (laughs) And is there hope? There's hope! We will feel, as followers of Jesus, often defeated. We will feel like we are not the ranked people, that we are not with position, that we are not with status. And guess what? When we feel that way, we join a long history, thousands of years of followers of Jesus who feel like, you know what? I don't fit, and we're not on top, and we don't have power. But thanks be to God that He loves cowboys, excuse me, that He loves His chosen people like you and me. Because not only are we exiles, but we are elect exiles. We are dearly loved, chosen by God. And that's the unbelievable identity that God gives to His exiled people further filling in our full identity here in verses, particularly in verses 9 and 10. We'll come to these in a minute, but look, look at them with me quickly right now. He says, you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, even though you are on the outskirts, even though you are persecuted for your faith. You have this special status, this unique identity as my people. And that is one of the only things that will sustain you through the losses and the trials of following Jesus in this life. Not only are you exiled, but you're my loved, chosen people. So let's go back, uh, beginning in verse 4. Where he continues on, Uh, Dave led us last week in this last part of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, where he tells us to crave pure spiritual milk and to love one another. He's given us these four imperatives in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 there, where we're called, because of what God has done for us, therefore, beginning chapter 1, verse 13, therefore we are to be holy. And to fix our hope on Jesus and to crave pure spiritual milk. And then as we saw last week, Dave emphasized that we are to love one another. And then, back beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2, he, Peter comes again to this idea of who we are in order to motivate us for carrying out these great callings. So, uh, Picking up in verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Long for God's word that you may grow up. How? By God's word. And then verse 4, he continues that thought. You've tasted that the Lord is good, so as you come to him and as you come to his word... You are longing for Him. You are longing for His Word. But you're not just longing for His Word in some kind of academic, intellectual pursuit, but you're longing for His Word as you come to Him. And as you think of the first phrase there of verse 4, as you come to Him, and it's, it's coming on the heels of God's Word, it reminds me of John chapter 5, and we don't have this on the screen, but in John chapter 5, Jesus tells some religious people that really loved to study the Scriptures He says, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but you don't come to me for life. So you're you're coming to the scriptures for information, but you're actually rejecting me, the one God sent to give you salvation, whom the scriptures point to. You're getting in the Word, but you're not coming to me. And this idea of coming to Jesus is we obviously come to Him by faith for salvation, but in verse 4 here, we see that we continue to come to Him. As we come to His Word, we are hoping that God is revealing Himself, continuing to reveal and give Himself to us through His Word. As you come to Him, and we come to Him who is a living stone, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. precious. Now, isn't it interesting here that Peter, if you know your New Testament at all, you know that Peter was once called a stone, right? And Peter, who Jesus said, you're the stone, you're the rock of whom I'm going to build my church, is now saying, well, the real rock, the real stone that we're built upon is this living stone, Jesus. He's the rock, he's the cornerstone, as we find out later in the passage. He's the foundation on which the church is built. Not Peter, but Jesus. In fact, we see this also from Paul over in Ephesians chapter 2. I think we might have this one for you on the screen. But beginning in verse 19 of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this, uh, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We're going to see that language again here in the further verses. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, Peter says, as you come to him, this living stone, and you might remember that this word living, we've seen previously in our study as well, where we've seen that the, the, the word is living, and verse, or chapter 1, verse 3, we have this living hope. This living hope and this living word and we come to this living stone who is Jesus who, though precious and chosen of God, was rejected by men. What does that mean for you and me? That means that the one that we follow who was rejected by men, his followers will be, guess what, rejected by men. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Here it is. Here's who you are. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ, this living stone, this cornerstone, this foundation stone is living. He's alive. He's Not just died on the cross, but He is resurrected. He is alive. He's the living Word. He's the living stone. And we also are little stones. Little stones being built up to be a spiritual house. And this is what Peter is getting at here. This spiritual house is is Peter saying, you are the new temple. Jesus is the Savior, and He is building now in these days... Not the temple that was Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, but he is building this spiritual house, this temple that is made up of all of you, fellow stones stacked upon one another. And Now, this is a good indication here of how important it is that our spiritual lives are together, connected, stacked upon, upon one another. He is saying, you are the temple, not just Ross individually, By himself, though there are places where Paul says we each individually are filled with the Holy Spirit. Here he is saying God is doing his work through a new temple. You believers, you elect exiles, are this new temple of God being built up as a spiritual house. But not only are you a temple, a spiritual house, he goes on to say you are also a holy priesthood. Now what do priests do? What did priests do? You had priests in all sorts of pagan religions. Of course, you also had priests in the Jewish faith. And priests basically were these mediators. They were these men who stood between the people and God, and they mediated from the people to God, but they also mediated from God to the people. They stood in between. And and now, though there were these special... A lineage from Aaron and Levitical priest in the Old Testament. Now Peter is saying, "You are all being built together. You are together a royal priesthood. There's not just a class of priests, but you are all priests." What's this mean for you and me? It means that we don't just re- we don't just rely on the pastor. We don't just rely on the priest. Right? Everyone who has co- been come been brought in to this temple, into this new faith family, is mediating between people and God and between God and people. We are helping others come to hear this word from God, and we are mediating, we are praying on behalf of others to our God. We are not only the new temple of God, spiritual house, temple, we are also the priests, So there's no Christian temple to go to today, but Jesus has a temple, and it's you and I built together. And there's no class of of priests, not pleased, there are no class of priests, but every believer is a priest mediating on behalf of God and on behalf of people to God. Who are you mediating for? What is God asking you to mediate to the people around you in terms of bringing the Word? And not only are we a temple and not only are we priests, but he goes on to say that we also are the sacrifice to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, not food sacrifices, not animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. We no longer offer these sacrifices Sacrifices, as they did in the Old Testament, because Jesus is the final, perfect sacrifices. Nevertheless, we offer spiritual sacrifices, don't we? That are acceptable to God. And I can I can think of three uh, sacrifices right off the top of my head that the New Testament talks about spiritual sacrifices. One is Hebrews thirteen fifteen, where it says that our worship, okay, is a spiritual sacrifice to God. As we sing, that is a spiritual act of worship. We don't have this one on the screen, but Philippians 4.18, you might want to just jot that down, okay, and look at that later because that, that talks about how our giving, which Richard just alluded to earlier, is a spiritual sacrifice that we offer. And maybe the hardest and the most all-encompassing, the third one being Hebrews 12.1. What's the sacrifice in Hebrews 12.1? Anybody remember? Oh, I can sing. Oh, I'll, I'll give some money. That you know, I can pull that out of my pocket. Do it online, whatever. But Hebrews 12.1 is much different than those other two. Why? Because the the spiritual sacrifice is me. What's it saying? I don't want your bull. I don't want your lamb. I want your dog. Don't offer your dog or your cat. Offer yourself. And our spiritual sacrifice is the giving of our lives. Romans 12, 1. Did I say that incorrectly a second ago? You forgive me. What did I say? No. Hey, I've got a head cold, okay? But don't break the moment here. Offer not just a song, offer not just some cash, but offer your very life in response to the God who offered everything that he could, the one and only son who died for you. Sacrifice your life, your body. Offer it all up to him in response to what he has done for you. All this because of the cornerstone, verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. He's the living stone. We are living stones being built up into this temple, but he is the cornerstone. Everything that the building is centered upon, takes its shape around, is the cornerstone Jesus. He's from. He's the one, he's the plumb line, if you will, to use a different analogy or metaphor. And the cornerstone determines... Our faith in the cornerstone determines our eternal destiny. You either become a part of the building or you stumble over the cornerstone to your death, to your destruction, to your eternal punishment. Jesus is the cornerstone or He is the stumbling stone, but He is one or the other. And this cornerstone has given you and me an opportunity not just to know Him, as wonderful and as glorious as that is, but not just to know Him, but to also represent Him and to mediate on His behalf, the one in whom it all fits together. So again, to verses 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. What's your identity? What's your identity as that you're a part of this, this chosen race? And notice that it doesn't say choice, it doesn't say you're the choice race, okay? Some have said in history past. Hey, we're the choice people, we're the choice race. No, he says you are the chosen, not because you're choice, but because God chose you. And the word race here is is really uh, probably better translated family. You're the chosen family. This harkens back to Abraham, who's going to be the head of this new family, Israel. And he says, you now, church, are the chosen people, the chosen family. So what comes to your mind when you think about church? What, com- what comes to your mind when you think about the church? Is it-, is it primarily this building? Is it primarily particular programs related to, hey, you know, you know we're going to have stuff for our kids, or we're going to have marriage classes, or we're going to have this one-hour service that's neatly packaged with, you know, good music, and then this message that hopefully will inspire you or whatever? You know, all of that stuff is fine, but when you look at the New Testament about the teaching of the church, this is the stuff you find. Not, not programs, but identity. You are the people. We are the people that God has chosen to use. Like the new Israel, God was working through this nation, through this people, Abraham. He, he chose them out of all the nations, out of all the families. I'm going to use you. And in this area, Centennial Church, you are gathering as a church because I have chosen you to be my family, my new family, this race that will represent me, that will stand apart wholly from other things, from common things, from from other organizations, and be my unique movement of people representing me in this broken world, as exiles, but dearly loved chosen ones. That's our privilege. And when you feel just normal, as we so often do, to be reminded, no, I am the chosen of God. I may have a losing record I may be very normal, I may look just like everybody else, and yet God, from eternity past, has chosen me and chosen this church to be His representatives, and not only a chosen race, but a royal priesthood. Again, we've already kind of talked about here the priesthood idea. Here, it's the idea that we're representing the royalty of the king. That we're ambassadors of royalty and not just some nation state, but the king of kings and lord of lords. That's whose we are. That's who we belong to. That's who we're to represent as priest of this royal priesthood, a holy nation. This, is, this word nation is not thinking about nation state, but the word here in Greek is ethne, and it's really thinking about ethnicities, all the different people groups that were around in ancient, in ancient times. God says, I'm going to choose the nation Israel, and now he's saying as the church, you are my holy people. You are my holy nation and a people for my own possession. You belong to me. You're chosen. You're commissioned as priests. You belong to God. Why? What for? Therefore. The next phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous Light chosen to be beloved, to be used to proclaim the excellencies of Him, not the excellencies of ourselves, but to proclaim the excellencies of Him who took us from darkness, from despair, from sinfulness and judgment to mercy and grace and relationship and brought us into a family and gave us purpose and positioned us as priests, we now have this opportunity as the exiled, loved ones of God to declare His excellencies to all whom we encounter. To those who are in our biological family, to those that we will work with tomorrow, to those that we will see in our neighborhoods, we get to be God's mouthpiece We get to be the body of Christ, representing him, declaring his excellencies as his priest, as his people, that he dearly loves as his position. Is there a greater identity than that? Is there a greater privilege than being loved by the God of the universe? Everybody in this room, everybody in this room wants to matter. Wants to think, I- I'm loved, I have significance, I have worth because someone who's important loves me. And what an awesome opportunity we have to take to a world that needs love, to a world that wants identity and wants significant, significance, and to say, guess what? The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves you. Your identity doesn't have to be achieved. Your identity can simply be received from God through Jesus. And your value is so much that He spared no expense. Blood poured out for you so that He could possess you, so that He could own you, and so you could say, He's my daddy. That's our privilege, that's our identity. To be the beloved of God and to love the people that don't yet know they're the beloved of God. To be just normal, old, run-of-the-mill people who also happen to be priests of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Ah, And Paul will say, who is adequate for such a task? Well, nobody in this room, (laughs) and yet it's not because we're choice, it's because we're chosen. Praise the Lord. Do you need an identity? Well, guess what? The good news is you don't have to achieve it. You just receive it. And some of you have received it, but you know what the New Testament will go on to say? We, we receive it, and then you know what else we do? Then we kick it into high gear and go ahead and try to prove that identity and earn some worth. Or maybe I'm the only one guilty of that. Thank you for the snicker. Do you need an identity? Do you need an identity check? You've got one. The blood of Jesus spilled for you, not just to tolerate you, not to just cover your sins just enough to get you in the door to heaven, but to delight in you. To say, You're mine. You're my beloved. You're my chosen. You're my highest possession. He created the Rocky Mountains, the beaches of the Bahamas, the Grand Canyon, the prairies of Oklahoma, and you're his prized possession. He never spilled his blood for any inanimate object, but he spilled his blood for unworthy priests, unworthy sons and daughters, who could live that story and declare that story while they live in exile? Will you receive it? Will you you declare His excellencies? I want you to bow your head with me this morning and I just want to give you a moment as the band comes up and plays for a moment I I just want to give you a moment to receive my hunch is that there's a bunch of achievers in here my hunch is you need to receive this morning as I need to receive this morning. Sometimes it's not easy to receive love. It's often not easy to receive love when you feel unlovely. over these words, look in your Bible this morning and take a moment to receive your identity. Father God, we come before you this morning, and we delight that we come to you not as distant strangers, but as your sons and daughters, those of us who have received that love, received that identity. We come to you delighted, celebrating that you have shed your grace upon our hearts and called us to yourself. And though we, sit, though we feel so unworthy that Jesus gave his life and shed his blood to bring us into your family, God, we just rejoice. It's what our hearts crave. It's what we need. It's what we need to be reminded of this morning in the midst of our achievement and search for identity. It's what our world needs, though it runs from it and Tries to find it elsewhere. Yeah, we just pause and we say thank you. We just pause and we receive your love. Totally undeserved, totally unmerited, totally beyond what we could ever attain in our trying and our. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us walk in it because we so quickly walk away from it. Would you help us to walk in it? And as we walk in it, to overflow with it to those who don't have this hope, don't have this identity, don't know of the grace available to them. God, we love you. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love one another as ourselves. Help us to shine your light this week as we go to work, as we live, as we go to practice, as we go to class, as we bike, work out, whatever it is, Lord, would you help us to be your priests? all for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.